it's been a it feels like it's been a long 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 time but we're still here we're still around and this is around the post the atp podcast this is episode 132 and that's not a special number (laughs) (laughs) um yeah sorry about the the slight hiatus um, to our listeners and stuff like that, but unfortunately, we were having some software issues, so this time it was my fault, but I think everything is squared away. We shouldn't have any issues moving forward, so it's good to be here. Figaroa, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, it's been a while, so we have a, a news to report, so it should be a good episode. All right, talk to me. Where are we going to start today? <clears throat> so, uh, we're going to start with Osaka. Uh, she had a collaboration with Victoria's Secret. We know she is pregnant. Also, we uh, didn't know. Well, I guess now we know. But yes, that was a major one for last week. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she uh, went on um, Yahoo and and said that uh, she found out the sex of the child, but Corday didn't know. Mm. So she found out, but Corday didn't know. So, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, for me, I think that it's, um, it's good. I know that she learned that she was pregnant and for some reason, call me crazy here, but I think this might be exactly what she needed to become the athlete we wanted her to be. I don't know. That makes sense, actually. You know, um, I think that there's a level of incentive to show someone who looks up to you as their source of inspiration what you can really do you know what's possible so i think that this is a major win for her in the big picture yes yes i agree uh i thought that was pretty funny news but now going to doha uh coco goff and pagula won the doubles championship hello and then iga won so they're both repeat champions. They won last year, and then they won again this year. Both the doubles and singles. Both the doubles and singles. That is crazy. And that doesn't happen often. No, it doesn't. But the but the big important part was Iga. Yeah. Uh, we know what happened at the Australian Open, how she said that she was playing more not to lose than to win, and uh, she actually won the title. So do you think this is a big step for her? Yeah, I'm actually really happy for her. Um, obviously... This podcast is famously Team Ega, and that's not going to change. But, you know, adversity and what you do afterwards are major tells of how your year is going to go. And she faced some major expectations this year coming into the Australian Open. Didn't really show up the way people would like to have seen her shown up, but she really is rebounded well. Yes, and uh, she rebounded well. She showed that she belongs at the top, so yeah. I'm very happy for her. And also, Belinda Benchins won uh, Dubai, so that's pretty big. Yeah, Belinda Benchins is that sneaky name that you just she right when you forget about her, she pops up. Yes, uh, uh, had an a, a Olympic run, then she's forgotten, then all of a sudden she makes a little run again. So she's somebody that you should keep your eye out for sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> Moving on, we have Isner News. Uh, he has the most tiebreakers played in uh, ATP history. Not even slightly surprised. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? That man plays way too many tiebreakers. <laughs> that is a record you don't want. He's at 500. 
tiebreakers. You should never want to have that record. That yes. means you can't close out service games or you can't break serve. That means you have a weak return game. Oh, yeah, big time. So that was the trademark is his 500th tiebreaker. Oh, my gosh. So that was uh, that was interesting news. <clears throat> Moving on, we have um, some curious news. So first, we're going to talk about Tiafo. He played in the All-Star game, the Celebrity All-Star game. Kyrgios mm-hmm. uh, was all, man, I should have been there. But he was happy for Tiafo. We know that Kyrgios uh, is a big basketball fan. And he actually stated that he would rather play basketball than uh, tennis. What are your thoughts? Um, I'm going to... I want to hear your thoughts. Talk to me about it. Uh, well... <clears throat> I did see a little bit of it. Tiafo is actually better than I thought. Really? On the basketball court. Oh. <laughs> On the basketball court, yes. Because it was a celebrity yeah. all, uh, all-star game. So he, he actually uh, had funny moments. So, mm. yeah. I, I He had a couple little baby highlights. Yes. Yes. So mm. uh, I've seen Nick Curios. He posts on Instagram all the time. So he does have a nice jumper. Yeah. So uh, I I was shocked about Tiafo being as good as I as I saw. Yeah. Did you see, this is not tennis related, but did you see DJ Metcalf? No. Um, so he's a, a football player. Right. Freak athlete. Oh, big time. Big time. He was dunking on everyone like he was in the NBA. So that was pretty funny to watch, but yeah, it was, uh, it was unusual because, you know, when you think celebrity basketball off the game, you think like, Leonardo DiCaprio or something. You know, you think people who are not from sports coming in together that are very popular and playing against each other in sports. You don't realize that there are also athletic athletes as well that play other sports. And some of these people are just premium athletes all around. So some of these people went out there and they were phenomenal. (laughs) And they were going against people who are just... R&B singers or actors, you know, just embarrassing people, you know, because these are people who play another sport at a professional level year round. So it was pretty funny to watch because I think part of it is social media has made a lot of athletes celebrities now. So we're getting more athletes at these celebrity games than we used to. And they're really just exposing the regular people. Oh, big time. Big it's time. It's pretty funny to watch. Big time. So uh, Kyrgios was on the... I don't know which brother it is. If it was Logan or uh, the other one, Paul, mm-hmm. Logan Paul, he was on their podcast and he was asked a couple questions. I'll save the best one for last. So since he's a big basketball fan, he says that LeBron James is the GOAT over Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. He also said that he would never get in the boxing ring. Even if you pay him over a million dollars, he'll never get in the boxing ring. <laughs> and then we know that the Pauls, the Paul brothers have uh, fought in the boxing ring. So, yeah. And then the most important one of all, he said, tennis is just a hobby for me. What are your thoughts on those three statements? You know, I just recently had this conversation with someone. I can't remember who it was, but it was about how some tennis players are there because it's the only profession they can do where they'll make the level of financial income that they get. They're not there because they love tennis so much. They're not there because it's their calling. They're there because they're able to be successful at it 
and the paycheck is just ridiculous. And there's a, I, I want to say it was a Spaniard, someone who they left tennis and were laying bricks. They were a bricklayer for a living. I can't remember who the athlete was, but they immediately quit that physical labor job and went, tennis pays way better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they time. came back to tennis. So for Curious to say that, it really adds more reinforcement to the fact that when he said if he wins a Grand Slam, he's probably done. It just makes it that much more believable for sure. Yes, the thing with with Kirill saying that it's just a hobby is the way he acts when he loses a point or the way he uh, throws temper tantrums. It, it appears that it's more than a hobby to me. In that aspect, you're right. <clears throat> so I think he's just putting up a front. Maybe it's more of a I don't uh, I'm not trying to set the bar high and keep it kind of low for a mental. So that could be uh, something. So that's that's my thought there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, uh, an Italian, uh, sticking with Curios, but going to uh, uh, Berrettini, uh, an Italian uh, uh, tennis player legend said that Berrettini needs to uh, uh, focus more on tennis and stop doing uh, sponsorship stuff. He is the ambassador for Hugo Boss. Mm-hmm. He does Red Bull. And the, this Italian legend said that Sinner that Matteo Berrettini was better than all the Italians, but now Sinner is the best Italian. So what are your thoughts on that? Sinner is probably the most consistent of all of them, but I think that Berrettini is the one that, as of right now, so for example, let's say we're at a grand, we're watching a Grand Slam, right? Let's say the Australian Open. Let's say the Australian Open. Who do you think is more possibly going to upset Novak Djokovic, Berrettini or Yannick Sinner? Honestly, I'd say Berrettini. <clears throat> yeah, me too. And that's why I understand why that player is saying that. Because one of them ceiling just seems to be a little higher if they were 100% invested in the game with their weapons they have as well. You know, uh, Berrettini has that serve and that forehand but there's a level of mentality, a level of attrition that's just maybe missing. Yannick Center has those things. Yes. But the weapons are not the same. So, you know, Yannick Center to me is the better of the two overall throughout a year. If you had to ask me which one of these people will win more tournaments this year, I'd have to go Center. But if you're going to ask me which one's going to take out Novak at the Australian Open, I'd have to lean towards Berrettini. Yes, I agree. <clears throat> this uh, person's name... I, I didn't want to mention it because I didn't want to butcher it, but it's Nicola Petrangeli. Mm-hmm. That's the tennis player who said that. As a matter of fact, I don't know they, that person. As a matter of fact, they went as far as to say, um, the last thing you did was the Wimbledon final, and after that, you haven't done anything. So you need to focus more on tennis and stop doing your ambassador for Hugo Boss, Red <laughs> Bull, and focus on tennis. Curios, real quick to respond, he said maybe that's his motivation. Uh, maybe money is his motivation over tennis. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody has a choice to make, and that's his choice. Uh, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on uh, Kyrgios? Kyrgios is... I He's trying to see himself in other players, and I understand that, but not everyone has the same mindset and perspective that he has. So for other athletes, I'm sure every athlete cares about making good money, but... I don't know if necessarily making the money is what motivates them to train hard and win matches. 
per se is it being a byproduct of the fruits of their labor and stuff like that. I think that Berrettini wants to win. I agree. I think that Berrettini is passionate about tennis, and I think that he would like to win Grand Slams and stuff like that. I don't think that he's just about the money. So I think Kyrgios is wrong there. Yes, I, I agree. Now, this is the big, big Kyrgios news. He's been saying that he's been wanting to play with a top a next-gen player. So he called out Holger Rune. Mm. And he said, Holger Rune, whenever you want to play some doubles, it doesn't necessarily have to be a big tournament. We can mm. do it in a 500 or maybe in a 1,000 event. Mm-hmm. We can play doubles together. Let me know. Mm. What are your thoughts on Kyrgios and Holger Rune maybe playing some doubles? I... I would like to see it, but that's mostly because I just love the theatrics and the storylines that are created around Kyrgios. You know, I'm not a Holger Rune fan, but at the same time, I do respect him. You know, I do think that he's an up-and-comer and he's making a lot of noise. And seeing him collide with a Nick Kyrgios as a character on the court, it would make for premium entertainment. So I'd love to see it. Obviously, Indian Wells is coming up, and I know that Nick Kyrgios was pitching, playing with Novak Djokovic. Yes. But with the way the COVID laws are passing in the United States, there's a really strong chance that's not going to happen. So I'm very curious to see who he partners with, and if it'd be someone like a Holgerun or a Taylor Fritz, which he did prior, or a Kokonakis. I'm just very excited to see what happens. Yes, uh, Holger Rune is a very steady player, and Nick Kyrgios is a showman. Yeah. So it'd be a very interesting double team to watch for sure. Mm-hmm. Now sticking with Holger Rune, um, Patrick Martagulu is going to stick with him for a while. Halep is still fighting her issues, uh, off-court issues. So she's going to be, or sorry, he's going to be his coach. Mm-hmm. And Stefano Sissipas parted ways with him saying, okay, we had a wonderful relationship, but it's time to part ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Martagulu is still going to make a big difference in Hogger Rune's uh, corner? I think so. Hogger Rune has had a, a fantastic last like nine months, six months. And I anticipate that things will continue to flourish for him. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I don't know if he's the type of player who's going to transcend and get to that next, next level. You know, the... The Sisipa Medvedev level. I don't know if that's in his future, but I would like to see if Martagalu is the guy to help him do it. So it'll be interesting. Yes, uh, he's made great champions, so I don't see yeah. him uh, or, or Holger Rune not improving with Martagalu yeah. for sure. So, and it was Logan Paul's podcast with mm. Kyrios. Oh, gotcha. Yes. So, and then uh, Martagalu went on to make some very interesting statements. Mm-hmm. He said that. The best drop shots in men's tennis belong to Alcaraz. Mm -hmm. The best trick shots and serve is Nick Kyrgios. Mm -hmm. The best forehand is Nadal. Mm. And here's here's the controversial part. Uh, The best return, movement, backhand, and mentality is Novak Djokovic. Do you have a problem with Martagilu's list there? Honestly, not really. I think that the only one that might be, might be debatable is the forehand. Um, I don't know if Nadal's forehand is the best one on the tour. <laughs> I know that it's an elite forehand. It's a Hall of Fame forehand. It's one of the best in history. But right now, today on the tour, I'm not sure if the Nadal forehand is better than the Berrettini forehand. 
I'm not sure. Um, Nadal's backhand is very underrated and it's very missed by a lot of people who analyze the game. Nadal's backhand is the reason his forehand is so good. You know, people, if Nadal's forehand was so, so great, people would just go to his backhand. But it's not really a solution, you know? So, um, I, I partially agree. I do think that uh, Djokovic is that dominant, that his return is the best on the tour, for sure. Yes. I do think that the way he redirects his backhand is phenomenal. And his footwork is dramatically better on the backhand side than the forehand. He takes it away more on balance. He takes it a lot more early. I like the Djokovic backhand a lot. It's not massive, but who really does have massive backhands on the tour who's in the top 10? That's true. You know, so. <clears throat> the problem with me is... Uh, well, first of all, I think the footwork, Nadal does have excellent footwork if you see him going around his backhand yeah. to hit forehands. Yeah. So I think the reason why Djokovic appears to have better footwork, quote unquote, is because of the stuff extra that he does. Mm -hmm. The the Spider-Man yeah. uh, splits and all that stuff. And Nadal mm -hmm. doesn't do that. Yeah. So that's why people are in awe. So, mm. but I think that Nadal probably has just as better footwork as Djokovic. Oh, for sure, I agree with that one hundred percent. And then the mentality—that's mm -hmm. the part that that was really. You think Djokovic has better mentality, especially with all the drama he's had, and you know. Um, so I that to me, and people online were saying, no, Nadal has the best mentality. How can you say that? I agree with that. I agree so, with that. So that was the controversial part there. Yeah. Nadal's mentality, I 100% think is better than Djokovic's. Novak's, I think that's actually the only weak point in his game is that you see him shaking on the sideline. You see him losing his cool. You've seen him kicked out of events. You've seen him hit balls into people all over the court, out of the stadium. He he's made major significant progress in growth internally, but he's not perfect. Right. So that's why that was that was to me was the mentality part was a little. I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, I one. see what you're, you're going for there. <clears throat> I agree. I agree. So, yes. Yeah, so staying on the big three uh, with um, Djokovic's uh, win in straight sets, the big three now have 25 Grand Slam finals won in straight sets. Mm. Federer has nine. Nadal has nine. Djokovic has seven. What are your Jeez. thoughts on that? Winning a Grand Slam final in straight sets is mind-boggling. That is, that's crazy. That's true dominance. The fact that they have 25 of them is wild. So, major kudos there. Major respect. You should never win a Grand Slam final in straight sets. That's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree 100%. Yeah. So, that to me was a very interesting stat. So, now we're going to talk a little bit of Agassi. His son, Jaden, made the Pac-12 All-Conference in baseball. Um, they, he, he wanted him to play tennis, but he chose the baseball route. Uh, any thoughts on that? Say that Agassi's son. That. His oldest son. He wants to play baseball? Is that what no, you said? No, no, no. Uh, he made the All-Conference Pac-12. Agassi wanted him to play tennis at first. Mm -hmm. But then he's all with Steffi Groff. And on and Andre Agassi as parents, that's mm. too much pressure on the kid to be a tennis player. So they pushed him into baseball, and now he is top. He's all conference in the Pac-12. Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. I do. You know, um, if you want to be honest with you, for me, I'm 
I'm curious if Andre does to you does Andre Agassi seem to be one of those people who carries the special athlete gene? Do you think he's one of those people? I yes, for sure. Yeah. Yes. And his ball striking is clean. Yeah, you know, so his timing, his hand eye. Yes. Um, I think it I think that what he did with tennis in theory translates perfectly to baseball really well. Yes. Um, same thing with Steffi Graf, who had an incredible slice, if I remember correctly. Oh, big time. You know, which is another one of those hand-eye coordination timing things. It's a feel shot. You know, for me, it sounds like baseball was not a bad idea. And on top of that, to be honest with you, it's more susceptible to high pay. Yes. Yes. I think they made a good call. Yes, I agree. <clears throat> so moving on, we have uh, Wu Yibing, who won uh, Dallas. Now he beat Isner. He is the first Chinese player in the open era to re- to win and reach a tour final. Hmm. You know, it was a big deal when Li Na did it, hmm. but he's the first male to actually win a title. Uh, he had a brilliant junior career. He won the U.S. Open juniors, and then he got injured. He had a ton of wrist injuries, back injuries. He was out to, for two years. He was outside of the top 500, and now he's in the top 50. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's that's not something uh, to look over. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'd like to hear what you have to say. Well, first off, he fell out of the top 1,000. Wow. His lowest ranking was 1,749. Now he's in the top 100. Tell people about him. So, again, he's a, he won Junior U.S. Open. Mm. Then he had those injuries. Mm. So, to me, that's perseverance in his finest. He mm. didn't give up. He actually has a very good game. He tracks mm. the ball really well. Uh, he beat Isner in the final. So he, he returns big serves pretty well. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of heart. He chases a lot of balls down. I feel like every blue moon we get these stories of these people who kind of just find a way almost, you know. Um, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Um, consistency can pay off. Discipline can pay off. And every now and then we get to something like this. And I, there was one, I cannot remember what event it was, but it was a guy, he was like a teacher or something. He, he just came back to pro tennis. He just came to it from his career. He had a full-time career and it was like a major success story. And then he ran into like Federer or something like that, you know, and got washed. But you know, I love to see these stories because they're so interesting to me when these people who at one point in their life were extremely dedicated to the tour, maybe didn't really get the results they were looking for, lean into a different venture, and then they kind of pop back up and find results. Yes. Um, and there's something really interesting about maybe coming in with that refreshed mindset, not being so mentally drained from the grind of the tour and training and making one strong push that works for them. Um, I think this is a case of that. Yes, for sure. As a matter of fact, we have another story. We have a 33-year-old who is 734 in the world who beat Jack Sock, who's a former number 10 player. His name is, uh, I'm sorry if I butcher it, uh, Machika Pektovich. I, I don't know that one. Uh, he, they played in Delray Beach. Mm. And as a matter of fact, let me tell you this story. He, is a full, he has a full-time job as director of capital markets for a real estate company. He is outside of the top 700 and he beat Jack Sox 
Jack Sock, excuse me, 466262 for his first career ATP win. What are your thoughts on that? That's pretty surprising. Um, it's interesting to beat Jack Sock is it's it's kind of a loaded statement if you're going to be honest with you. So on one side, there's you beat Jack Sock, a top ten American player at some point in his career in singles. Yes, but then on the flip side, Jack Sock hasn't been in the top fifty in a very long time. So I know that saying he beat Jack Sock's very mind-blowing yes but it's not the jack sock that we're thinking of that's not the same player it's not the same tier and quality ranking player as the one we think of when we say that name right so part of it's really cool and the story's really cool and when he tells his kids it'll be really cool but it's just a good win it's not it's definitely not a watch out for this guy he's trouble it's not that um I'm not I'm not running the topics here, so I'm not gonna segue this conversation, but there are other names out there right now that are doing wins that are startling and are huge, doing things this year that are way more significant and a better story as far as is this guy destined for more big things? Yes. That's a conversation to be had, not this. Yes. That is a big victory for him though, and it's gonna be cool uh to have and yeah. maybe he will have continuous uh victories but yeah since you brought up the the part where uh you said that he was a teacher a tennis player that was a teacher or whatever i thought that was really cool to bring up yeah so you have um medvedev winning rotterdam he beat sinner in the final Whew. big win big, big win. win uh any thoughts on that yeah um really cool to hear um medvedev is he's reminding us that he's not going anywhere he's been insanely consistent you know, I think that Medvedev is actually a consistent top fiver. You know, he's here to stay, and I don't think he's going anywhere for a very long time. And it's very easy for him to kind of slip our mind. Yes. But he's been there the whole time, you know. So major, major kudos to him. And beating Sinner in a final, to me, is him making a statement that you should pay attention to him this year. Yes. And uh, talking about Sinner uh, in a roundabout way, uh, Vavrinka has been having a very good, very good uh, tournament results lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but he's beaten Gasquet twice. Mm-hmm. Gasquet did win the tournament prior to yeah. uh, Australian Open. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big victory. But here's the, the story here. So he played center mm-hmm. in Rotterdam. And then there were people online saying on uh, Twitter saying, you shouldn't even show up to the match. You're going to get destroyed. Mm. And then Vavrinka responded and mm. said, well, I'm going to show up to the match. And if I get killed, at least it's a free lesson. Well, guess what? He got killed. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Look, I've been watching Stan Marinka. Believe it or not, I'm a massive fan of him. And I have been keeping an eye on him on the tour consistently. And look, he's been playing very well. He's been beating names that we know. Uh, like you said, Gasquet. He beat Bublik. Yes. He beat... Um, he had a And that's really, in that tournament alone. Yeah, in just that tournament. Right. And uh, he played someone. I can't remember who it was. Honestly, my only, my only gripe with uh, Stan Wawrinka 
is that he's been getting mixed results where he beats a player we know, but then he he loses or he has an epic epic with someone we've never heard of in our lives that comes and goes right after. You know, like legendary tie break, extended rallies. And I watch I've been watching him and I can tell you right now the issue is that when he's on the run, he slices his back end. Yes. He does not hit over the top of his backhand anymore when he's on the run. So that's going to be the thing that require, that's required for him to get to the next level. If he wants to beat someone like an Alcaraz, a Yannick Sinner, a Medvedev, he has to hit over the top of his backhand when he's on the run or extended. And it, I don't know if he's capable of still doing it at the professional level. I don't know. But, you know, him losing to Yannick Sinner to me is totally unimportant. It's not a big deal. It's expected. Yannick Sinner is one tier below the people we expect to win slams. Yes. One tier. So that's fine. I'm totally okay with that. Let's keep in mind, Stan Wawrinka, within the last six months, beat Casper Root. Yes. Um, That's a top eight player. (laughs) Right. So, you know, he should be respected for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, as a matter of fact, as you talked about slicing, he he tends to slice the forehand a lot on the uh, serve return as well. I I hate that. So he, hate he's going to have to fix that for sure. I as much as I do hate that though, let me say this: he found a lot of success in his prime doing that. Yes, I I hate that tactic, and I'm not a fan of him doing that. But him chipping his serve return to me, it's always been my my biggest issue with why he can't consistently do what he does best every year all year round yes so so moving on to taylor fritz now it could be misleading uh we'll leave it up to you guys uh he is the first uh male since andy roddick to reach the top five in the rankings now it's not in the atp rankings in the atp rankings he's number seven it's in the live rankings so in the live rankings it's after every match you're ranked by the um <clears throat> by when you win that match mm-hmm. so uh in the atp rankings it's whatever points you've defended uh what tournaments are coming up here it's as soon as your match is over you're ranked mm-hmm. so he's top five in the live rankings mm. what are your thoughts on that does that count is it impressive that he is in the top five in the live rankings it's impressive for sure. I think that that is an awesome accomplishment. I could not put him in the same breath as Andy Roddick yet. I, I seriously can't. Um, Andy Roddick was knocking on the door of Grand Slam titles consistently and just happened to be sharing his prime with Roger Federer. Right. That was that was the only thing separating him. And he still got a slam yes. during that time. So... Um, yeah, I can't compare them. I can't say that him being in the same conversations as, as him for this statistic means anything to me because it doesn't. But I do think that Taylor Fritz is making a lot of noise. But I'm going to need to see him get to a Grand Slam final first before we talk about him and Andy Roddick. Well, he won Indian Wells last year. Yeah. He has a lot of points to defend. So if he loses early, that's problematic for sure. See you later. Yes. So we have a big return. Alcaraz won in Argentina. He beat Nori in the final. Uh, did you catch? Did you catch any of his uh, matches at all in absolutely, Argentina? Absolutely, I watched his final with Nori, and I have to tell you, I was happy I watched it because 
you know, as as any fans would feel, I had a little paranoia and concerns when he got injured. What would he look like when he came back? Because he left on such a high, performing at such a level. He came back, and let me tell you, Nori looked phenomenal. He did. Lori, Nori was playing great tennis. If Alcaraz would have lost, I would have been like, okay, you know, that's totally understandable. That first set was crazy. Um, I want to say it went to tiebreak, maybe, or was it 7-5? I don't remember. They had a, a crazy first set, and Alcaraz had all his shots that I remember him for. Forehand looked phenomenal. Drop shot looked great, um, and he pulled it out, and he looks really good right now. He should be. We should be paying close attention to him. Oh, big time. Uh, he, if we're basing it on this tournament, he's looking back to his form. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, uh, he said, uh, it was hard to see Djokovic take the world number one, and I'm here and I want it back. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I love it. And he can do it. He's the um, only one, in my opinion, that has the wheels, the ball, uh, uh, the, the heaviness on the ball, yeah. and the athleticism to beat Djokovic. Especially in five sets. Yes. So, I agree with you. And I think that he might be able to make enough noise to do it sooner. He didn't go super deep at Indian Wells, so there are points to gain there. And he has the opportunity to play a few extra events and hopefully make some real noise. Yes. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in the next quarter. And obviously, we're not too far out from him hitting the clay season where he should make more noise there as well. Big time. And now let me just pose this question to you. Uh, uh, Thinking as a Djokovic fan, what would you say to the people that say, well, Djokovic didn't play half of the year because of the vaccine uh, problem. He wasn't allowed to play two majors. If he would have played, you would have never had the number one spot. What would you say to them? They're right. I I agree. I do think that it it's not Alcaraz's fault, and I'm not going to take anything away from him. But statistically speaking, if we go by events played versus events with results or results versus events played, Djokovic had a superior year to Alcaraz last year. So, yeah, I'm going to admit admit there we will never know. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what happened. And that number one ranking was taken. And that's just what it's going to be. You know, we can't talk about uh, fairy tales of what if and, and hypotheticals and things like that because the reality is you either show up or you don't. And that's how the point system works. We don't we don't give points for theories. So, Alcaraz, if you're able to get your ranking back, it's yours. There is no, oh, well, if he was there. And, and, I mean, what if Federer never hurt his knee? Oh, there you go. What if Nadal didn't hurt his rib? You know, there, there's always a hypothetical what if sure. that changes a the result. There will always be some. So we cannot base our credibility with athletes on that because circumstances are what make the athletes who they are. The same passion that Djokovic had for his health that made him the athlete he is, is the same passion that's stopping him from taking that vaccine. So if we imagine Djokovic with the vaccine, that's not the same guy who is gluten-free on his diet, doing meditation and drinking lukewarm water. It's two different people. So it's part of the package deal. Yes. Alcaraz earned his points. He earned his number one. And 
Djokovic made all that noise last year because he's so consciously aware of his body and won't put things in it. Boom. You know, it's just what it is. Uh, if we're talking about facts, the last time they played, Alcaraz won. Okay, so, Mr. Curious so has a winning they, record. So Here we there go. you go. It's, it's, it's not the <laughs> fact that he has a winning record. It's just that they they played and he's won. Yeah. And that's their only, if I recall correctly, I believe that's their only matchup. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll play again for sure. So we'll see what happens then. And then lastly, uh, Federer is in talks with ESPN and the BBC to commentate at Wimbledon. As a matter of fact, they're saying that they may uh, share the cost in order for him to be at Wimbledon uh, announcing matches. Are you excited to see Federer as an announcer? I'm very excited to see what kind of announcer he is. He's a very opinionated athlete. Um, I've listened to him in Laver Cup throughout the years and see what he says to players. He's insightful. He's strategic. Here's the funny part, though. When he talks to players at Labor Cup, he strategizes with the mindset of them having the same skill sets he had. You know, he'll tell a player, you need to step in and take the ball even earlier. Not everyone can do that. <laughs> so I am looking forward to seeing what kind of insight he has for athletes while he talks about their match play and how much of it is what Federer would do or how much of it is what that athlete should actually do. So that's exciting. Um, I would love to hear him saying things that athletes should not be doing because he was able to do it. That would be really funny to me. <laughs> you know, not everyone can come to the net. Not everyone can serve their way out of service games. Not everyone can take the ball off the baseline and redirect. So it'll be fun. Yes, that that is actually interesting. Uh, I never thought about that. But yeah, mm. it, it's going to be interesting to see. Are you going to tell them what you could do? Yeah. And then act as if they can do it as well. Do you remember when he was uh, in... Zverev's ear during oh, Labor yes, Cup, and yes. he's like, "You need to step in more." Right? I was like, "He's not even that far back." <laughs> Zverev was just kind of nodding, like, "I'm not going to tell this guy no," you know? So, yes, yes, exactly. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say because he's a very analytical player. Oh, big time! But it's an analyzation with the weaponry he had. Right. We don't know if he. We've never seen him actually build up another athlete or player. We don't know. So it'll be interesting to find out. Yes, that's going to be fun, and hopefully they get it done. Mm. Uh, do you have anything else to add? I do, actually. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the the guy who was used to be in our big four, but now is just the big three, and about his how much noise he has made in the first quarter of 2020, or in three. Yes. Right? In 2023. He's made a lot. Um, let's, I'm just going to list off some of the matches and then you could tell me your reaction to it. Let's start off with the first one. He beat the 13th seed at the Australian Open, Matteo Berrettini, in a five-setter. Followed that up with beating Kokonakis in a five-setter. After being down. After being down. Won three straight after losing two. Right. Then he beat Sanego after being one set down in a best of three and saved three match points at Doha round one. Then beats Zverev, the fourth seed, 6-7, What What are you thinking about Andy Murray's performance for the year? Are there high hopes for him to make more noise? He seems to be the worst player you could catch in the first or second round possible in a draw right now. Because he's providing incredible results against people who have incredible runs. 
yes, Murray is definitely a person you don't want to face early for sure. I think that if his ranking gets a little higher, he's going to make runs for sure. Yeah. He's playing phenomenal right now. Mm-hmm. Now, the only thing right now is Zverev. We do know that he's been coming from injury. So although that it is the same thing you said about Sock mm-hmm. by name, that's Zverev when it's, oh, Zverev. Yeah. But are we thinking Zverev prior to the French Open when he got hurt? Mm. So although name-wise, that that uh, victory is fairly big, but is it the same Zverev? Yeah, and that's a fair assessment. I haven't been keeping track of Zverev since his return, but last I checked, he had another loss um, where we went, hmm, he lost that one too, huh? Yes. So I do need to do a little more research there to find out how significant the Andy Murray win was. But at the end of the day, it is still a Zverev win. Right. So there's some significance to it. Um, and he did beat Veratini, top 13, Kokonakis. Those, so are, good those are good wins. So those are good wins. He can still wins. make noise for sure. Yeah. Um, here's a quote from Andy Murray. I just wanted to read to you and see what your thoughts are. If it goes well, I will play in Rome, Madrid, and as I say, I hope Roland Garros. Because the last one I... The last one, I don't know how many times I played there in the last five or six years. But when I did it, physically, it just wasn't good. So he's looking to make a run during the clay season as well this year. What can we expect from Andy Murray on the clay? Can you tell the listeners anything about Andy Murray as a clay court player? Yes. uh, The movement, especially with the hip, was going to be problematic. Mm -hmm. But he's shown that he's able to move fairly well. We do know that he doesn't do well on the clay, but the fact that he's wanting to do it is actually very surprising, and he means business. He, he's he been saying, I'm not here just to win this match. Mm-hmm. I'm here to make deep runs, yeah. and if not, I'm not playing. Mm-hmm. So I'm expecting a lot from him. Interesting, interesting. That's pretty much everything I had for uh, this episode as well. Okay, in that case, uh, I hope you guys were entertained. ATP around the post. It is great to be back. We'll see you next week.